those who are hopefully signing on to Facebook Live and those who will join us later via means of other social media. And we are in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2. We've got a lot to cover. Hopefully we'll cover the whole chapter. The last two weeks we covered chapter 1. Just some basics. Paul is the writer. He's speaking to Timothy, who is his protege, who is he has put in charge of the church of Ephesus. And there have been issues and problems with false teaching that needs to be corrected. Paul is encouraging Timothy, and here he's given him some instructions. Really, if you break this whole chapter down, most of it is about instructions for worship or worship services in particular. There are some other things towards the end uh, of this chapter, and so we'll go ahead and get started. I'm going to read verse 1. This is just some basic teaching, so hopefully we'll just slide right on through here. So it says, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. If you have your Bible in front of you and you underline, one of the key words there is all men. Uh, and that is not specific just to male, but it's for everyone, essentially. And when he says, I exhort, first of all, it's not a matter of a reference to time as much as it is to importance. So Paul is placing importance of us praying. That is definitely uh, a priority for our Christian's life. Life is that we people of prayer. He says supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. These are wide categories of communicating with God. How many knows what supplication is? Asking, that's correct. Asking for something. Most of the time we don't forget to do that. Sometimes we might forget to do other things, but usually when we go to prayer, we have a need in mind. Uh, so it's asking for something. That's all that supplication means. Prayers, he says supplications and prayers. Well, prayers is just a broad word uh, that means any way that we communicate with God. Intercessions. What are intercessions? Standing in the gap. So in other words, we're in prayer for others. Hopefully we do that as well. And don't just pray for me and my, my four and shut the door, right? <laughs> uh, but we do pray for others. What is giving of thanks? I think that's pretty standard. It's praising, giving gratitude or appreciation to the Lord, worshiping, that is a part of prayer, parts of kinds of prayer. Have you ever just prayed a prayer of thanksgiving? Not even asked the Lord. I think that's healthy for us to do sometimes. Now, God knows our needs already. Uh, so sometimes I just like to thank the Lord for all the things that he's done for me. And so oh, that's healthy, that's good. These are all prayer, uh, all types of prayer, uh, not necessarily all-inclusive lists because there are probably some other ways that we can pray, I'm sure. Uh, but these are for all men. We all, everybody needs prayer. Paul describes prayer, two basic 
categories of prayer. And it's for all men, which we already talked about. And in just a little bit, we will talk about praying for those who are in authority. So those are two basic or broad categories of people that we should pray for. So we should pray for all men. That's everybody, all inclusive. And then Paul adds to that to say, make sure that you're praying for those who are your leaders, those who are governors, those who are kings, those who uh, have responsibility for governmental things, you know, all those kinds of things he's saying uh, that we are to pray uh, about and we're to pray for. Pray for all men. Pray for those who are in authority. But what are some that we should pray for? Each other. <laughs> yes, that's a big broad category. Leaders. Pastors. That's definitely on my list of things. What about family? Friends? Loved ones that we should be praying for? Those who do who, who do evil. Who, who else should we be praying for? We're leaving out one that we don't don't think to pray for. Enemies, yes, and Israel is okay. I didn't have that one on the list, but we are to pray for Israel. What about what others? The lost, absolutely, yeah, that's on my list. What groups? Your own church, right? <laughs> right. So we should be praying for our own church. And then other ministries like we talked about. Those are things we we never really honestly, if we think about it this way, would run out of something or someone to pray for. An exhaustible list of, of things and people to pray for. We could sit here probably all night and, and just categorize. We ought to pray for this and we ought to pray for that. Yeah, you, you need to be praying for your pastors and you know, I'm not the only pastor or minister in the church, so there are other ministers. Some, you've got children's pastors, you've got youth pastors, you've got Sunday school teachers, you've got uh, other ministers in the church. You've got a board. They're, they're making some crucial decisions. You pray for your board members, all those kinds of things. And so, uh, I mean, we could just, just line everybody up and pray for everybody, right? What is Paul stressing here? Pray for all men, all mankind, right? Uh, and so that's important, especially when we think about, you know, in our worship services that we, when we go to prayer, that we need to pray for those people, uh, especially pray evangelistically. Uh, that's part of what this cross is about that the Lord laid on my heart to do, right? Uh, that we would pray that people would get saved. If you want God to answer a prayer, that's one that we know that he will answer. Because God is concerned about the, un the unbeliever. He's concerned about that. So uh, that's his heart. That's his goal. And so uh, pray for those who are, are lost. Pray for those who are in authority. Pray for the king. Is one thing Paul says. Verse Two, pray for the king. Now, we don't have a king, but we do have a president, 
He needs prayer. But, but all, all of our presidents have needed prayer. Uh, they make some crucial decisions about our well-being and military and economic standpoint and from all for all kinds of purposes it doesn't say pray for your president if you like him uh, matter of fact if you don't like what they're doing maybe I'll pray for him more right we, we're to pray for those who are in authority so that look at verse 2 we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence so there's a purpose for praying for our politicians, our presidents, our vice presidents, our speaker, our congressmen, our senators, all of those, and at a state level as well, so that we can live a quiet and peaceable life in godliness. How many knows, wow, we experienced that in 2020, the government can make a difference in your privileges and rights, okay? They can put a halt to that if we're not careful. So we are to pray so that we can continue the work of the Lord, uh, so that we have a quiet and peaceable life so that we can live for the Lord and we can do what God's called us to do because governments can put laws in place and things like that that would hinder us from even attending church. If you remember early 2020, uh, that happened. We didn't like it. And we sure found some ways to skirt around that. And God blessed us as we had a piece of land and we could go out there and have drive-in church and all kinds of things. I wouldn't plan on saying that this, but we are to pray for our leaders, our politicians, our uh, presidents, all of those people, so that we uh, can continue to work for the Lord. So we are we are to pray for our leaders. I want you to think about something. One of those categories of communicating with God is giving of thanks. Have you ever thanked God for the leaders? Not to, because they have a purpose. Now we don't always like. I, I, I'm a, I'll be the first to admit. I don't like, always like some of our political leaders, but we have reason to thank God for them because without some of those positions, this country would be in chaos. Uh, imagine a world with no police officers, no chief of police, no, you know, all of those kinds of things and their leaders in our communities, and it would be a mess. So we should also not just pray for them, but Thank God for them, right? Uh, that, that's important that we do that. One of the original church leaders in the first century, I remember this from my history, his name was Tertullian, and he said this, we pray for all the emperors that God may grant them long life, a secure government, a prosperous family, vigorous troops, a faithful senate, an obedient people that the whole world may be in peace and that God may grant both to Caesar and to every man the accomplishment of their just desires. So this isn't anything new, you know what I'm saying? The, the, those, Paul put this in his uh, letter here to Timothy and we see that some of those first century 
church leaders, I believe Turkulu was first century, he was very early in, in the historical past of the church. And so we are to pray for them specifically so that we can have a quiet and peaceable life. We are to also, I think there is a place, now I'm not, I don't feel called to do this, but I do believe that there is a place for Christians in politics. I believe there really is. Uh, we probably need more. Uh, I, I don't feel at all called to do that, but but I believe that there are people who are Christians that God could use in a, in a great and a mighty way. Uh, sometimes we shake our heads when we think about a Christian politician because it seems like they're contrasting things, but they don't have to be. I think if you feel called to do that, that you would fulfill that role for the Lord. Verse 3 and 4. Well, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. So he's talking about prayer. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So let me point out to something. So we said one of the purposes of prayer was so that we could have a quiet and peaceable life. But that's not the main purpose. The main purpose of prayer, look at this. The goal of prayer for all men is that all men would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's the purpose, the grand purpose of prayer. Because that's God's grand purpose, right? Do we always think that when we pray? Probably not. That's one of the focuses that I had in putting this cross up here in us putting names of our loved ones, family, friends, neighbors, all those things was so that we stay in the focus of what God's heart really is, right? And that we pray for the lost. And by the way, we've seen, you know, a couple people's lives already changed just by praying. And uh, I'm going to go back on something I said. I said we're going to do this from now to Easter, but we're going to keep doing it for a while, right? <laughs> Uh, so we're going to keep praying over this cross, and if we need to, add, if we want to add somebody to it, we'll do that. Now, I don't know how long we're going to do that, but the Lord hasn't told me that, that we're to take that down, right? Even if we take it down, we're going to keep those cards and just believe the Lord and trust and pray over those. So, so God's desire is for all men to be saved. So let's talk about this. He desires for all men to be saved. I'm just going to read it the way it is in my notes. But it's conditioned by his desire to have a genuine response from human beings. What do I mean by that? God will not force us to be saved. It is a matter of our choice. So while God desires for all men to be saved, all women, all mankind to be saved, he will not make us be saved. It's a choice. We have to choose to accept what now God's already done it for all of us. Christ has paid. I woke up this morning thinking about that uh, that word I introduced to you on Sunday, to tell us die. To tell us die. Paid in full. It's finished. In the word to tell us die, there are three T's. And it just gave me a I woke up this morning and I was thinking about that word, and I was like, man, that just that just symbolizes. Calvary with the three crosses in it. 
And uh, it's it just, you know, sometimes the, my mind works in different ways sometimes. And so when I woke up, I looked at that, and I was like, wow, that's three crosses in that word. And God has paid for all of us to be saved. I mean, Christ's blood was enough for all of past, present, future people to be saved. There's no lack of power in that blood. But he won't force us to be saved. And doesn't, doesn't that upset you? That, I mean, I, I don't mean God should force us, but I'm just like, what a, what a loss. People don't understand what they're missing by not being saved. It's a free gift, right? God's grace. So, and come to the knowledge of truth. In order to be saved, you can't just believe anything or everything. There's not multiple ways to the Lord. There's not to, to, to God and to heaven. Now, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And there's no other way to the Father except by me. That's what Jesus said. If you don't like that, you know, you have to take it up with him, right? Because <laughs> I didn't make that rule up. Uh, in the commentary that I read multiple commentaries, and one of them I was reading was saying that, you know, people may say, well, that doesn't seem right or fair that there's only one way. But it also began to explain to say that there must be another way is to discount what Jesus has done and to say that wasn't enough. And how many knows it was enough? He, he desires for all of us to be saved, to come to a knowledge of the truth. You cannot be saved without some kind of understanding about who Jesus is and what he's done. Even the thief on the cross recognized something about Jesus. When he said, when you come into your kingdom, in other words, he recognizes his king, then I want to come. I want to be a part of that, right? Uh, and so the Lord told him, hey, you're going to be with me this day in paradise. We have to know something about the Lord. So let's read verses 5 through 7. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. That's important. Man Jesus Christ. He who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time for which I was appointed. So Paul's saying, hey, it's, it's all about Jesus. And I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle. And I'm speaking the truth, again, a reference back to that truth about who Jesus is, in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. We have said that God desires for all to be saved, that he paid for that, and the one and only way, what is the only way, question number five, men must be saved, that is through the man, Jesus Christ. Answered here. Uh, in verse 5. So only through Jesus. Through the man. Why does it say through the man and not the Lord? Yes, absolutely. We, we shouldn't forget that. So just any sacrifice wouldn't have done. He must be a substitutionary sacrifice. So Jesus had to be all man and all God, which blows our minds mathematically, right? Uh, we, we think 100% and 100%, well, that doesn't make any sense. How can that be? Uh, but 
It's only through the man, Christ Jesus. It has all of his titles in it, right? Uh, but it's through the man. It's important that he be a man in order to be that complete substitutionary sacrifice for us. An animal, God had already deemed that the animal wasn't enough. I believe it's Hebrews that tells us that. That the blood of goats and lambs will never, would never have been enough to cover, to, to wipe out the sins of man. It must be the blood of Christ. Well, it was foretold, yes, that, that he would be the one that would crush the head of, of Satan and, and, and uh, his heel in turn would be bruised. So all of that. By the way, that reference that I made to Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that's found in John 14, 6. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom, he rescued us from what we, we were lost in our trespasses and our sins. Sunday when I preached, I, I, I think it just come alive to me. I knew it, but it just come alive to me that the Lord did all of this willingly. No one forced him. He did it willingly, knowing that that's the only way. That's what God's judge had judged to be the only right way to handle it, right? Uh, and God, in his foreknowledge, knew all of that. In his wisdom, he said, I'll offer my son. You see, I preached about Isaac and Abraham. And, and I probably blew some of your mind saying, I believe Isaac knew. Because it's a perfectly is matches what God did for us, right? Uh, so believe that or not, it doesn't matter. But it's it's such a perfect picture of what God did for us. Then we have Easter, and, and God just lines all that out. He 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 gets the credit for it. I didn't design that months ahead of time. <laughs> First Timothy two eight. So it's going to get interesting here. We're going to talk about the role of men and women in church. Don't, don't throw no books at me. I didn't write this part either. Not believe. I know there are ways to interpret this that allows room for women and men to be very active in church, in prayer, and in teaching, and all those kinds of things. And without stretching the word for, for what's found throughout Paul says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubt. I mean, I was that women ought to pray with holy hands lifted up as well. And, and in that manner, without wrath and without doubt. Here again, he's supporting this idea. He continues throughout this chapter to support the idea of us constantly being in prayer. Do I think men have a different authority than women. Yes. From the creation, yes. God has called us to be the leaders of our household, and I'm not going to take that away. That's, that's what God called us to do. That doesn't take away from the role of a woman. It's actually, when you look at the, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but when you look at the role of the man and the woman, they're, they're, they support one another, right? They don't we shouldn't think about, well, I'm a man, so I've got all authority. And, uh, well, I'm a woman, so I have no authority. That, that's not, there's no truth in that either, right? 
These are supportive roles, and God designed us as men and women to work together, especially husband and wife, right, uh, to work together. And I do believe that God desires for the man to be the head spiritual leader of his household. But if he doesn't, then a woman needs to do it. And if he won't, let's say he's not saved, then it is upon the woman to become that spiritual leader and representative of the Lord before that unsaved husband in order that they might be saved. And lead a, lead a, lead a life that is uh, exemplary and uh, shows the love of Christ. That's not always easy to do when you're dealing with a person that's unsaved, right? Uh, but that's what God's called us to do. And uh, we're to lift up holy hands, we're to pray. And I want to say this, it says, without wrath. How many ever prayed an angry prayer? Sometimes we do, don't we? Sometimes we, but, but here God's saying through Paul, let's pray not angry, but without doubt. In other words, trusting the Lord and without wrath. Because the anger doesn't really do anybody any good. The only time you might get angry is if you get angry at the devil. But if you're praying angrily against other people, so there's a difference. We need to understand that we're made in God's image all, even if they're not saved, they're made in God's image, they're just not living up to that, right? Uh, and so when we pray, just like the Bible says for people, uh, that we are to remember that they are created in God's image and we're to pray with love towards them and not with wrath. That can be hard to do because sometimes we see how the devil is using someone to affect a loved one or, you know, get something how that, that person's getting in the way if it's because they're being led by the enemy. Paul just straight out comes out and says certain things, but I think it's okay here as we look at verses 9 and 10. In like manner also, the women ought to adorn themselves in modest apparel, number one, with propriety, we'll talk about what that means, and moderation. So those are the things that they're to adorn themselves with. There's one more, it's at the end of verse 10, listen. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. So I want to add that good works is one of those things that women ought to adorn themselves with as well. Why would Paul say they shouldn't wear braided hair, gold, pearls, costly clothing? Right, the culture wasn't the same as we're in right now. That's what I want to get across. Those were attributes of prostitutes, harlots, those kinds of things, the way that they dressed. So in today's standards, you know, braided hair, my goodness. You got long hair, you want to braid it, get it up out of your face, braid it, right? Because it does not a mark of sin. That was a part of what women of ill repute were wearing and uh, because it brought too much attention to themselves. It's good to look attractive. It's good to dress modestly, all those things. And, and I'm not sure why Paul says that just to women because I think men could dress immodestly as well. 
modesty. The word propriety is used. It's not in your notes, but that simply means is it appropriate for the occasion? Are you over or underdressed? Is it appropriate or does it call too much attention to yourself? So that's what propriety means. For a Christian woman to dress in a way that that people don't think evil thoughts of and uh, improper thoughts about and lust after, let's just be honest, lust after or whatever, right? Uh, moderation. Is it too much? Has it gone too far or is it too little? That's what that word moderation means, middle ground. I think there was a time when when some church folks went too far one way with hair down to their ankles and dresses down to the ground and no makeup and whatever. I mean, it looked like, at times people looked like, I'm just saying, you know, like they uh, were uh, born in the 1800s instead of the 1900s. Myself personally find anything wrong with, there's nothing wrong with modesty, but you can also go too far. And the problem isn't with that, you doing that singularly. The issue is, do you think you're better than other people because you dress that way? That's the, that's the real issue. I think in many ways our society has gone way too far the other way. In the church, men and women, we have to understand that we are to look different. And that's just fact. We, we ought to look different. I look different tonight. I'm ready for summer. I got my Hawaiian shirt on. I'm ready. <laughs> that doesn't make me any more holy or less holy, right? So, but we are to look, speak, live different. All right, here's where it gets we're going to get real interesting. So hang with me. Let a, this is verse 11 and 12. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. I'm going to point out a couple things. Back in verse 2, we talked about pray for your leaders so that you will have a peaceable life. Same word here is translated silent. So I'm not sure, <laughs> number one, why it would be translated that way, but it could also be taken as let a woman learn in a way that is peaceable and without contention rather than in silence. Because I don't think that the Lord's saying women ought to be totally silent in church. There was a difference in culture. So it wasn't so much about, it was about not causing confusion in a church service. is part of what is going on culturally here too. Because Kitty is correct. I remember my old days. Goodness. Oh, they still do that, Carol or not, in the Brush Creek Church, but they used to when I first a few times went there. All women sit on one side, men sit on the other side. Not in within the church, but up on the platform. It wasn't that long ago that people were still doing that. And so what Kitty pointed out is a part of that culture is that during that time and day, men would sit in a different place than women. So Paul's saying, hey, don't like holler out in the middle of the service. What's he talking about? 
you know, to your husband or to whatever, right? So that is a part of that as well. And we do know in the New Testament, even in Paul's writing, in 1 Corinthians 11.5 specifically, women are specifically mentioned as praying and speaking in the church. So obviously there's something going on here that Paul's trying to correct besides just in general, women, you shouldn't be talking in church. References here in Corinthians that women are speaking and praying and doing all those kinds of things. There's a, a number of things. That's why we're talking about that. So th there's a cultural difference where men and women sit. Uh, you also have the idea of submission, which is the next word that we're going to talk about because he says, do it with all submission. Learn in silence and do it with all submission. Bill may have something to add to this because he's the only one in here that I know of that was in the military. But that word submission means to be under in rank. Doesn't mean that you're not valuable, that you don't have a purpose. It simply means under in rank. So when you're, and I'll say this, and then Bill, if you have something to add to it, that, that's wonderful. In the military, you need all those different ranks. You need captains, you need lieutenants, you need privates, you need corporals. I, I, anyway, I'm losing, uh, you, Bill knows more about that than I do. But you need all those ranks, and they all have a purpose, and they're not less than one another when, that, when it comes to that purpose. There's just a different rank. If it's in the household, then it's going to come down, and there is not agreement between the woman and the man then God saying the man should make that decision. And that, that may be hard. That might not sit well with you, but that's, that's really what this is saying. Not a, a matter of lack of value or even ability. Don't bring it out in front of everybody. And if you're going if you, if you're gonna, if you're gonna to have disagreement, you know, do it at home, right? Uh, and, and let the church be a place where the focus is on God and not on the arguing and the, all that kind of stuff. What is Paul talking about? Why is he saying this? Now, Paul does, I mean, he does come out specifically and say, I do not permit. He didn't say God didn't say you couldn't do this. He said, I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. We have women teachers in this church. We have women, women preachers in this church. Uh, in our denomination, Pentecostal Church of God, they subscribe to that. They think a, a woman can be called of God to be a preacher and to be a teacher and all that. And I do too. If I didn't, man, there's a whole lot of women in leadership roles in this church, right? And teaching and doing, uh, preaching and doing all those kinds of things. And so, but Paul is saying here, he's very specific. I, I don't, I don't do that. He does give reasons for that. By the way, the word silent can be uh, translated as peaceable and without contention. And the word submission means to be under in rank. Paul gives two reasons why he doesn't do this. He doesn't have women teach or preach or have authority over men. I think he is specifically saying in the church here, for Adam was formed first. Two reasons. Then Eve. 
Secondarily, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman deceived, being deceived, fell into transgression. I, I want to point out what Paul is saying and then what he's not saying and what the scriptures talk about. Because in the garden, who sinned in the garden? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Absolutely. That's correct. They both sinned. There is actually a reason to say that Adam if we quantify sin, that Adam committed the greater sin. He directly, having heard God say, don't do this, he went along with Eve when she did it. Could have been a different history if he'd said, hey Eve, you know, I, I, I told you we weren't supposed to do that, and God's going to have to deal with you, but he didn't do that. He really, honestly, I, I feel, and I believe God, I know that the Bible supports what I'm saying, is that Adam committed the greater sin. God did create man and woman for different purposes, with different authorities, but to work together, that's what I started off by saying, for a common purpose. For husband and wife, that common purpose is to raise children that know the Lord. That's one of the most common purposes. And, and to fulfill the kingdom call on us to be those who, who fulfill the Great Commission, which is to become disciples and then disciple others and then baptize them and all of that. So we all have that call on our lives. We just have, as men and women, a little different kinds of authorities here. And that's what Paul's saying. Adultery and not idolatry. That's correct. Both. But well, was definitely disobedient to God. Well, he definitely knew better, but he did it anyway. Honestly, I, he was somewhat like Adam in that he, he did know better. Adam and Eve both sinned. Question 11 says, who does the Bible blame for the fall of the human race? You may know the answer to that. Well, actually, it's Adam. He blames Adam and not Eve. Now, it tells us Eve, Eve fell but it doesn't say that she fell and human, humanity fell. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us through one man, sin came. God, in his word, directly blames Adam for the sin and for the fall of the human kind. You have the first Adam, and sometimes we say the second Adam, but that's not true. Christ was not the second Adam because if there was a second Adam, there could be a third. He was the last. And so he comes along. What one man undid that God had a perfect creation, everything designed for his purpose. And one man, Adam, because he was the one with the greater authority, the different authority, and the head of not only his household, but the very first of all humanity. Christ goes, has to fix that. 1 Timothy 2.15 Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Honestly, this can be interpreted many different ways. I have heard, and as a matter of fact, I remember Sister McKinley claiming this as a promise for women of God that they would be able to uh, do well in childbearing, that they would, you know, not have 
not, it not be too difficult. I'm not sure that's the grant, the, the pure purpose of this scripture, though. I, I'm not saying that that isn't true. I think a, as a woman of God, you can call on God and he'll help you during childbirth. I don't necessarily think that that's what this is all about. One way to approach it, this is to say that she'll be saved in the childbirth, in the childbirth. So what's that a reference to? The birth of Christ. So here, here is Eve. We know she fell, she messed up. Adam gets the blame. We already said that for humanity's fall. But the woman, the women are, are, are going to have something good come that will kind of make up for what he did. And what that is, is the birth of Jesus Christ by Mary the Virgin. I'm not saying she totally makes up for what Eve did, but I'm saying that there is a, uh, that transgression that Eve did is lessened by that a woman brought the Messiah into the world. And, and I like that. Um, can I just say that's a difficult passage? It really is. Um, and I'm not saying that those you've heard that from in the past were wrong. I think any child of God that calls upon the Lord in a time of crisis and pain that God can hear and move and help in that situation. What do we get from this? Especially talking about the woman. Don't blame the woman for the fall of the human race. The Bible doesn't. Instead, thank women for bringing the Messiah to us. Uh, that's one way to think about that. That scripture, we could probably talk about that for days, because you can attribute multiple things to that particular scripture, uh, that she'll be saved in childbirth. It could be something along the lines that Kitty was talking about, and primarily the woman being the one who teaches her children about Jesus. Uh, and so that is a, a good work for the woman to do. Let's quickly go through these questions. List and describe the four categories of communication with God. Supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Uh, supplication simply asking for something. Prayer is a broad word for communicating with God in different ways of praying. Intercession is made on behalf of somebody else. And giving of thanks is about being grateful and appreciative for uh, what God has done for us. Question two, according to verse one and two, what two broad categories of people are we to pray for? All mankind, all men, and all who are in authority. List some specific types and groups of people who are we to pray for. Family, friends, loved ones, enemies, the lost, pastors, your church, other ministries, all those things. Pray for your enemies and the lost. Pray for Israel, which one we mentioned. Question four, what is the goal of prayer for all men? According to verse three and four. Be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. According to verse five, what is the only way all men must be saved? Through, through the man Christ Jesus. Question six, according to verses nine and 10, what are women to adorn themselves in? Modest, apparel, propriety, 
good works, and moderation, all listed in those nine verses nine and ten. What other way can the word silence be translated? Peaceable or without contention. What does the word submission mean? To be under in rank. Question nine. What are the two reasons that Paul does not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man? Man was made first, Adam was made first, and then Adam was not deceived, Eve, Eve was, right? Question 10, who sinned in the garden? Adam and Eve, both of them. Question 11, who does the Bible blame for the fall of the human race? Adam. Why? Well, yeah, he, he had a different authority. He had been told directly by God uh, not to do that. 